Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. It's the Blue White Breakdown, a very, very special Blue White Breakdown. It's going to be like a very special facts of life. Remember those, Dusty? Because Bob Flounder's Tandy 200 has, is in the, on the skiz. We don't know what happened, but he couldn't come in. He couldn't, he couldn't patch in. So it's Dustin Hockensmith from uh, the compound. And where are you? you you in Lemoyne. Where are you? From sunny and gorgeous Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Camp Hill is such a friendly place. The home of Kate Barron. <laughs> and Buddy... It was college football, college football last weekend. We got Purdue coming up, uh, getting on the plane tomorrow for lovely Indianapolis and West Lafayette, which is my 14th of 14 favorite venues in the Big Ten. You haven't been there, have you, Dusty? I have not been to Purdue. No, I, I haven't been to Purdue. To be one of your top 14 Big Ten venues, you know it's a special place. <laughs> we We had a great place there that we finally found. To go to dinner, and then the next time we went back was closed. That's kind of mm. kind of the way West Lafayette is. But a very interesting, fun football team that Jeff Brom has. What's always a really good passing attack, and I think what's special about this game is the the, the marquee matchup of units, which is Peru's passing attack led by Aiden O'Connell, maybe at, outside of C.J. Stroud, the second best quarterback in the league, had a terrific last half of last year and threw on everybody. Um, of course, last year they had David Bell and they had Milton Wright, who has flunked out of school. So those are two substantial losses. But at Purdue, they never worry about wide receivers because everyone wants to play at the, the cradle of quarterbacks. Speaking of that, they're going to be wearing a special helmet insignia honoring Len Dawson, the first of a long Long line of guys who have been uh, terrific quarterbacks there. Mark Herman and Bob Greasy and and uh, Jim Everett and uh, Drew Brees and on and on you can go. But what they don't have is they don't have really a, a frightening speed guy for, for deep. It's not that, that David Bell was like, tremendously fast, but they don't have like a Rondell Moore or David Bell, a guy that you're really scared of. What they do have is a couple of wideouts from Iowa, of all places, who are probably underutilized in, in Kirk Ferentz and his son's uh, hyper-conservative scheme there without a viable quarterback. Charlie Jones and – not Charlie Jones. I know what you were thinking. Not that Charlie Jones. And Tyrone Tracy. And they have a very good uh, tight end named Payne Durham. And they got other guys. I mean, a, a couple of guys who played really well against Tennessee in that 48-45 overtime bowl game in the Music City's Bowl where they beat Tennessee on basically their own turf. 
uh, TJ Sheffield and Brock Thompson. Brock Thompson, my God. Did you watch that game, Dusty? You remember the Tennessee uh, Purdue? At all, uh, I, I I reviewed it, but I did not watch it in, in real time um, last year. So one, one of the highlights of the bowl season, and I swear to God, Brock Thompson looked like he was coming out, out of a battlefield after every play, limping, punching over, and just kept going out there and making great plays. So so they receivers they got, they've got possession receivers. I don't know if they have the burner. So the question is, Penn State's best unit i would say it's the secondary would you you say that oh i I would say that too and i think i'm of a similar similar belief on how manny diaz needs to play this one where you're not selling out to pressure the quarterback because i think the ball is going to come out quick anyway and i think it's imperative to to limit damage whenever you do you know jeff brown's going to scheme some of these guys open just make sure you don't you don't allow things to get behind you and allow and, and miss tackles in the secondary. And I think you should be okay. And I think I'm of, of the same belief as you where I know Jay Franklin brought this up yesterday about, you know, thinking about Purdue going vertical on them, but I'm not sure that's a, a huge concern for them. I think leaning on that secondary depth is, is a great idea. And I don't, I don't know if, if bringing a ton of extra bodies is the best way to attack. That's Manny Diaz's reputation that he brings pressure. It's, you know, it's a sexy way to play, tries to pressure the quarterback, get the quarterback out of his comfort zone. I'm, I'm not going to say that Penn State's defense had all the answers in the old days, but I always thought Tom Bradley's defense back 20 years ago played that basketball on grass pretty effectively. You remember the Joe Tiller basketball on grass? And it was, they, they had, just like now, they had receivers for every situation, and Drew Brees was the quarterback. Drew Brees, he didn't play, I don't believe, the first year. That was Billy Dickin. He was on the team. But in 98, 99, 2000, Drew Brees never beat Penn State, even when they they had the, the substandard 2000 team. And Purdue won the Big Ten that year. They went to the Rose Bowl. They could not beat Penn State. And, and part of the reason was the way – Penn State's defense kind of played. They kept everybody in front of them, and they would just hit you. Uh, I think that's, in a way, I, I would certainly play more man coverage than Tom Bradley did back in the old days. But because these guys, you, you've got you've got corners, especially Joey Porter, if he can keep his hands off of people, that's got a kind of been a problem for him. But if they can crowd and play press coverage up against these guys, you can play a lot of man. I think they can do that in this game. And, and hit them when they have the ball, I think that's the way to go. Make them earn their way down the field because they're not going to run the ball. They never run the ball. They've pretty much given up running the ball. They ran for under 100 yards per game both of the last two seasons. They use the pass as, as a run. They use short passes as runs. The, the, one, the one example I can give of a, a, an intimidating come-at-you defense, try to pressure you defense, was Iowa last year. And if you saw that game, the score was only 24 to 7, but Purdue did pretty much anything it wanted offensively. The, the, O'Connell hit 31 of 43 for 378 yards. And he was getting the ball out. Get the ball out. Get the ball out. It was never a problem. Uh, he was not, he, he was sacked once, and they didn't have any turnovers. There were no picks. And Iowa, who lives off turnover differential, was minus three in that game. They were plus 15 against everybody else in the league, but they could not pressure that passing attack. I think that's a lesson 
if anyone could pressure passing attacks, it was Iowa. You saw what they did last year. Remember what they did against Maryland, which was supposed to be gee whiz. They went in there and took uh, Talia Tagovailoa apart at Maryland and won, uh, I think it was 51 to 14. They didn't do that against Purdue. Purdue is a lot more sophisticated. And I don't think that Penn State can do that necessarily against Purdue either. They're going to get the ball out on time. I think the way to go is just keep everyone in front of you and make them earn, earn their way down the field. And I think make them earn their releases off the line of scrimmage too with the wide receivers. If you can disrupt that quick timing. And it, and to me, I think it would be lovely if you're able to generate some pressure without sending guys specifically up the middle. So if you can win those one-on-one matchups inside or maybe you send a linebacker on a delayed blitz or something, I feel like coming up right in Aiden O'Connell's face without uh, dedicating a ton of extra bodies to the blitz will, will be big. I think anything that you can do to disrupt that quick passing scheme, I'm not sure if Penn State's pass rush is really ready to get home in week one. I think I like the upside of it, but I don't know what those guys are going to be capable of, especially when especially when the ball is going to come out quick against a veteran quarterback. I'm not really expecting a lot of sacks and, and hits in this one. I don't know. No, and, and O'Connell's been around. He knows how to do that. He knows how to get the ball out. I think you're on it. And we don't know. We really don't know enough about Adisa Isaac or any of the uh, – we don't know enough about the defensive line except Mustafer only played half of last season. So uh, I think that's what we're talking about is Mustafer pressure up the middle, the, the, somebody like that, and we don't know if that's going to happen. So um, did you watch any college football over the weekend, especially one game in particular I'm thinking of? Uh, the nor- Northwestern Nebraska. I wanted to ask you about – I wanted to ask you about Nebraska. Yeah. What do you think of uh, of Scott Frost and, and his his future there and how things have, have gone? And, you know, I, I've he- I heard a lot of Bo Pelini chatter just looking at, you know, what he did to get dismissed from that position. And obviously. Is he coming back? He saw oh, that. Wouldn't that be the best? <laughs> the return of Bo, of Bo Pelini. From Youngstown. Where where the hell is he? <laughs> uh, he's coordinating somewhere. Oh, that's right. He got, he got a coordinator job. Right, right, yeah. right. Now, you want to talk about a university that would really be throwing up the white flag if they brought back the guy <laughs> that they ran out of town uh, for going nine and three every year. Well, they're, you know, they're the one position group, or actually the one, the one sector of the football team that was supposed to be pretty dependable. Is last year the black shirts kind of made a, a recovery. I mean, they they were owning a couple of games down this. They had the Michigan State game completely in control until special team snafus uh, gave that game away. And they always have a way of giving games away. But in this game, what was striking to me was how weak the defensive front seven looked. When you knew at the end of the game, and, and forget about the, <laughs> the the onside kick with an eleven point lead and all the momentum that just swung the game the other way, forget that that Scott Frost did. After that, when Northwestern got the lead back, it's thirty one twenty eight, the final score, and for the last I think eleven minutes of the game, Northwestern, everyone in the park, including the Irish people who have no idea about American football, knew that Northwestern was going to run the ball. They were going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball with with Hull and their other power running backs who aren't real fast, but they're pretty powerful. And Northwestern just ran it down their throats for the last 10, 11 minutes of the game. 
including Evan Hall just basically ran through nobody on the last last two runs for the uh, the go-ahead touchdown. That, to me, was telling in a lot of ways, and it looks really bad for Scott Frost. It's almost like the the narrative has taken grip that they're just fu- they're just finding ways to lose now. Like you see some of the makings, especially last year, where they're they're hanging with pretty good teams. They're not being totally outclassed, and and you know there's a very real possibility. Like we've seen we've seen Northwestern surge and plummet in the same season so often. May- maybe we look back on this game in three or four weeks and be like, actually, you know what, Northwestern deserves more credit than we realized, and blah blah blah. But you know, for for them to be so bad in in one possession games, and for them to just invent new ways to give games up. I mean, that's like the story of Scott Frost. And now it's like, it's like they're becoming that, that narrative. And I don't know if he's going to really have the time or the ability to snap out of this. Um, no, man, he's, but- he's, his, his buyout uh, per a Pete Thamel report, his buyout has been, will be halved uh, starting October 1st from 15 million to seven and a half. And, you got to think that Trev Alberts uh, is going to pull the trigger on him, if not then soon after. Did, did you think that was did you think that was a good play by Trev Alberts coming in and 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 really it was a compromise between saying let's fire Scott Frost and let's give him more time was to was to really make him earn everything at this stage like to come in and restructure the contract and for Scott Frost to I think he said something about betting on himself which really amounted to him keeping his job but you know, to, to rework things with him. You know who else did exactly the same thing, and it worked out pretty well, is Ward Manuel <laughs> at Michigan. I mean, okay, yeah. I, I predicted when Jim Harbaugh got that job in 2015 that Michigan would never win a Big Ten championship under him. And I did it because I didn't think, I thought he was too intractable. He, he was a one-trick pony who did what he did, and that was going to be it. He was going to run power football like he did with Toby Gearhart and all those guys at Stanford. And that, that the East offered a disparate a variety of different coaches who could change it up as a group on him. And he would never be able to beat everybody and get frustrated. And he'd, he'd eventually go back to the NFL, which was that close to happen. It was, I had it, yes. I had it, I had it, Dusty. It was right there. And then... Uh, Ward Manuel offered him uh, a, a much a much more modest contract, and he took it, which I didn't. That was where I miscalculated. He took it. So they did the same thing as Nebraska, but it worked out. Um, and he basically discarded what Josh Gaddis was trying to do, which wasn't especially working, running a spread option, and uh, went back to power football. And that's the irony that the power football that he loves – and has lived his entire career, worked. And, you know, I think it's kind of a change-up in what, what college football is right now. Everyone, James Franklin is the template for a lot of schools. A lot of programs is running around, running down people, running around people, but not running through people, not really hitting people. The rules have kind of dictated that, and it swung all the way on this side, and now you're seeing schools like Wisconsin's never changed, but but Iowa and Michigan have been a problem for people because there's a lot of schools that don't see that. And Ohio State didn't want any part of it. 
in that 42 to 27 game. And I'm not sure they're built to deal with it yet. That's why I picked Michigan again, which is probably foolhardy, but I did it. I did it. You you look at, you know, where the, where the trends are going. And I think Penn State converting a safety and playing him at linebacker is part of that broader trend too, where you have to be able to play in space, but now you, you're zigging and Michigan zagging. And, and the one thing I don't really love, you know, the, the, the commitment to, to sort of caveman football, but at least it's an identity for them to build around. And when the guys are buying into it and they have the right attitude and the, the defense has the right attitude and they're willing to smack people in the mouth, you, you can catch teams, you know, you, you, you can, the, the things can come together and you can, you can beat teams. And, uh, I think that was proof of that. I think Penn State sometimes is guilty of not really having a fixed identity. You're not really sure what is it that you're trying to do exactly. I think fans that that watch Penn State are are like kind of tired of, of going up to the line of scrimmage and spending 15 seconds looking at the sideline and adjusting based on what the defense is doing. How about you just do what you do? And that's that's the Michigan's the the case study in that. And so is Wisconsin. Do you ever not know who Wisconsin is? But, uh, you know, if, if if Michigan wants to be Wisconsin, they recruit a lot better athletes than Wisconsin does. If they, yeah. if they can yeah. get the same thing going with better athletes, then you might have something. Not well. They've got what very much looks like the best offensive line again, even more so this year in the Big Ten. And that's why I picked them. They don't have Josh Gaddis anymore because he got sick of that whole situation. So they've got an old offensive line coach named Sharon Moore who maybe sees eye to eye too well with Harbaugh. I think Josh was good for Harbaugh, even though they didn't agree on much. And Harbaugh called about half of the plays last year. And I mean, I was screaming at the TV during that Ohio State game for Michigan to just run the ball, run the ball. They don't want any part of it. But when Gaddis mixed in some passes, and you knew he was the one mixing those in. They had a, a good effect. They had a positive effect on that game, and it, it actually is what Harbaugh needs. He can have his personality, but he probably needs that influence. Now you're going to have two cavemen side-by-side side in Harbaugh and Sharon Moore, and I'm not sure that's all great, but the offensive line, those guys are going to love it, and they've got like nine, ten guys in the rotation. And I happen to know some people up there <laughs> who are telling me that, that they love this offensive line. So I want to see Ohio State or anybody else stand up to that. The question for Michigan is their defense, which I think has a lot of question marks. They've got a lot of question marks. So they might be in some battles where they just have to control the ball, which See, it's counterculture now. No one t- talks about controlling the ball and establishing the running game. I mean, this, it's like Ray Scott came back from the dead or something. It's not, it's not done anymore, but it's so, it's so uncool that it's kind of cool now. It's, it's kind of trendy. Yeah, it's like, uh, like caveman chic. Now, the good thing is the, the audible calls from those guys are just a series of grunts, different tones of grunts. As, as <laughs> it's, it's, it's run right or run left. It's either <laughs> uh or uh. <laughs> so uh, it's nice and easy for them to understand. But that's, you know, I think the the offensive line, I would expect them to be one of the better units in the Big Ten every single year because they really, really value it and they really value the nastiness and they really value the physicality 
And I think Penn State could maybe do well to be able to infuse some of that physical wanting the contact. You know, I think Penn State has been accused of being a little bit too finesse on the offensive line where, you know, maybe if they could borrow some of that, they'd have a little bit more success. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Where's Mike Munchak these days? Bring him back. Yeah, what if Penn State just paid him a million and a half to be the offensive line coach? Do you think he'd do it after after applying for the head coaching job twice and getting turned? Well, actually, he took himself out of the running when O'Brien was hired, so that doesn't really count. But then he made what I heard was a really, really good pitch in 2014, and he was cast aside for James Franklin. Do you think he'd do it? Because you put Mike Munchak in charge of that offensive line and recruits see that, what would happen there? What would happen there if Troutwine doesn't work out? And this is, you got to believe, his last chance this year. Would that work? And would he take the job? Did you ever see Tom Brady in that in that Barber series or whatever, where he's talking about his free agency? And he, he says about some mystery team, like, you're going with that MFR? You ever, you ever see that? And, and everybody was wondering, no, 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 who are you no. talking about? Yeah. MF is not actually what he said, but um, I picture Mike Munchak saying that about James Franklin. You're going with that? Where you're going with that guy? Munchak, Munchak was my choice at the time in 2014. I thought he, I, I thought he would embrace the personality that Penn State was and throw a bone to the 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 people who wanted a Penn State guy. And you know, I was wrong for for a few years. I was wrong. But what would you have had had you hired him? You, you probably don't get the 2016 champion, I, I don't think. I don't know. He wouldn't have run as progressive and off. You never would have hired Joe Moorhead uh, his third year. So no, that probably doesn't happen because that happens a lot because of all those wideouts and Trey McSor- Jason McSorley and, and throwing the ball down the field. A lot of that was – a lot of that championship was because of those guys and Moorhead. But – you probably have a stability and a personality with, with Munchak that you have not had with Franklin. Because like you said, who are they? What's their identity? And maybe Penn State would have been in a position last year like Michigan was, where you know exactly who they are. They're recruiting serious offensive linemen. It's become like a Wisconsin personality school. And that, that was my vision for it. Now, do you get explosive plays out of it? Probably not. But man, you get some running backs and you get a personality that that is indelible and unmistakable. So there's that. I don't know where the trade-off was. Like I said, they probably don't get they don't get a championship in 2016. Maybe they, they get one down the road. I think the pendulum swings. So in 2011, I think they needed a maximizer, somebody who, you know, knew that they were inheriting a tough hand and could make the most out of limitations. And that was Bill O'Brien. Munchak was very, very nearly the coach. If they hadn't stayed in the playoff hunt by just a sheer luck, really, that it was they were in the playoff hunt in week 17, I think he takes the job. But he couldn't leave a team that, that still had a possibility of making the NFL playoffs. And Bud Adams, the old owner of the time, 
down there said, you know, we got to we got to talk. And he he had a come to Jesus talk with him and he and he confirmed that he was going to stay aboard. If that if they fall out of the playoff race after week 16, I think he was he was going to be the coach rather than Bill O'Brien. But he but he he had to commit. I think, you know, Munchak could have done something similar to Bill O'Brien, but yeah, he might have. You know, I think um, O'Brien wasn't the most uh, enthusiastic recruiter or baby kisser or whatever you want to <laughs> say about him. So I, I think Munchak would have been similar in that regard. So after you get done maximizing what you have for two years, now I felt like when they were hiring James Franklin, they needed a builder. They needed somebody to get the get the base back up to to recruit talent to to get the numbers back where they needed to be. Uh, and now, and that was him. And now you could see, you know, I, I feel like 2022 is such an important year, not to win a title or anything, but I think to, to, to push for nine wins is like, he's got to reestablish himself as the guy that everybody thought he was after they won a, a title in 2016. But you could see the pendulum swing back then to being like, let's just get back to having an identity. We got players. Uh, we're on stable ground there. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if James Franklin's going anywhere necessarily anytime soon. If he does, it'll be his choice, clearly, by that buyout. When you said baby kisser, I thought that of that Bugs Bunny episode with Yosemite Sam when they're in the election. You remember the election with Yosemite Sam and Bugs? No? No? No. No. He no. goes, babies? I love babies. Where are they? And one of the one of the babies along the row is Bugs with a, like a baby thing on <laughs> <laughs> And he, he jumps out of his he jumps out of his crib and goes, and puts a giant kiss on and then he runs. <laughs> My mom, um, when I was a baby, made me read the newspaper. I didn't get to watch cartoons. So that's how, <laughs> that's, that's how I became me, Dave. You were, you were reading George Will at four years old. Is that what you said? four. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, peaked, I peaked at five, though. That was the only downfall. Did you read my predictions or no? They, they got by you. They, 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 they did get by me. Most, most stuff gets by me on, on Sunday anymore. I'm picking Michigan in the East. I'm picking Penn State fourth at seven and five, uh, five and four. Where or where do you have them? I ha- I have them as nine and three. I'm I'm subscribing to some of the optimist outlooks on on things. And I just feel like, you know, Purdue and Auburn are, are a couple toss up games on paper. They're on the road, so there are some variables there. I got them winning both of them because I'm just not that blown away by Auburn. I know that it's going to be a tough environment. And I know that they're going to want to show what an SEC crowd looks like, you know, after the whiteout last year. I know that's going to be tough, but I just don't know if Auburn's a great team. And I don't think Purdue's got enough horses to to beat Penn State. So I feel like those two games can kind of swing between seven and five and nine and three. And I got them winning both. I got them losing to Michigan State, Ohio State, and Michigan. My word of caution about my prediction is that I have them pretty much beating everybody they should beat. So what are the odds that they beat everybody they should beat or everybody that they're favored to beat uh, in, in the point spreads, but well, I don't think they're going to be favored to beat to win at Auburn. That's for sure. So you got them beating some people that they're not supposed to beat too. Auburn's got problems at quarterback, and they've got problems with Brian Harson, and they got problems with the AD who just left. But they don't have problems with their offensive line. That is an ass kick in offensive line. It's arguably the second best in the whole SEC, and they are going to run the ball. They were they ran the ball on Penn State's defense last year. And that's, I think, all they're going to need to do in that game. We'll know more after we see Penn State's defense. But with Penn State's linebacker layer, 
not not particularly deep. They are going to be tested in that game. Have have Auburn's offensive linemen ever seen a big body like Jordan Vandenberg, though? You know, like that would that would be my counterpoint for you. And no, I think uh seeing the the defense get pushed around by Illinois and get pushed around really, you know, by Wisconsin too, before, you know, they were just able to get off the field. I think that teams that are are capable and willing to to commit to running the ball are going to be a difficult matchup without without a doubt. And I felt like Auburn was kind of on to something in the second half last year when Tank Bigsby just started running it, running all over those guys. They ran for 182 yards in that game. It's not like they didn't run the ball. They averaged 4.6 in that game against what we think was probably a little better front seven than this one is going to be. We don't know. You never know until the season starts, but certainly a more capable linebacker layer than that one. That's that's the layer that's going to be tested in that game because they're going to have to come up and make hits on Tank Bigsby and uh, Jarquez Hunter. And, and they've got backs, man. They've got backs and they've got offensive line and they don't have a quarterback. TJ Finley was just named the starter like a couple of days ago. And it's been this ridiculous competition all through through camp so you know they're not going to feature their quarterback they're going to run the ball you know what they're going to do they're they're going to tell you what they're going to do and can Penn State stop it so we'll we'll know fairly early in that game what's going to happen well I think I think I think the mess of of Auburn eventually shows itself you you're not going to be able to ask your quarterback to make zero plays in a game so if you're going to call TJ Finley's number and he's going to do some wacky stuff or he's not going to be ready for that then then we'll see that's what happened. That's what happened last year when Bo Nix had to win the game. He couldn't win the game. So yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe you're right. But yeah. they're not going to be exposed against Mercer or San Jose State. We do know that. So if they're if they're exposed, it's going to be against Penn State in, in that marquee game. I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, uh, if, if, if you don't like it, that makes me like it even more. <laughs> I, I I went for I went from seventy thirty on this thing to ninety five five. There are people who say that I ruined Scott Frost's career ever since I gave him the uh, uh, the Football Writers of Association of America uh, Coach of the Year award in January of twenty eighteen. Nothing's going right for him since because you know jinxy jinxy moment. So maybe maybe you're onto something. I don't know. You owe, you owe everybody there an apology. That could be it. I'm going to board the plane for beautiful Indianapolis. Tomorrow with Bofflo, if he has a working laptop, I'm sure he will. And we will see you after the game, Bob and I will, on Thursday night. Until then, adios. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>